welcome to the latest episode of Women's Hockey Digest. I'm your host, Stephen Edwards, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Joanna Baribo and Kira Gowen. First up is Joanna Baribo. Delighted to welcome to the podcast, Joanna Baribo. Joanna, thanks so much for joining me. How's it going? Hi, it's going good. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on. We're sitting here recording this on a Thursday before another big weekend in the NWHL, but before we get to any of that and talk about the whale and everything else, let's get to know you a little bit better. So, where did you grow up and when did you first start playing hockey? Um, I grew up in a little town called Amos in the province of Quebec. It's actually located six hours up north of Montreal. So pretty way up there. Um, I actually started playing hockey when I was about six. Uh, I have a brother and a sister that are older. So they were actually both playing hockey for a little while. And I was actually playing hockey outside with them and everything. And one day I just went up to my parents and I said, I want to play hockey. And the next year I, they signed me up and I started playing. So, Before you went to college, you played with the Quebec Phoenix in the CWHL. What was that experience like? Yeah, um, actually, I moved. So I moved from Amos to go to Trois-Rivières, which is where the Phoenix was located at the time. And... Uh, at that time, I was actually just a substitute player. Um, it was a great league for me to keep, like, to get my toes into that level of hockey. And honestly, I'm I'm kind of bummed that that team is not there anymore. Considering the league is the TWHL is, is doing so great, but it was just amazing to play against those big players. Um, I think I remember playing against the Montreal Canadian at the time the and most of the players are still there but um it's 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 crazy to think that at 16 I was subbing in for them and playing against those big, big players so you attended Clarkson University why did you feel that was a place for you um I think just a type of uh, hockey that Clarkson is recognized for the like hard playing kind of team, the grinding, like all the players that are there are really just like grinder type of player that just keeps going nonstop, no matter how the game is going. And I think that was fitting really well with my type of game and also like just getting that challenge as well of, um, Regard like having the coaching staff and really having a coaching staff that's pushing you a program that was just getting kind of started when I went there. So um, those were the main uh, reason why I wanted to go there and help the program uh, flourish at the time. So, and of course, after Clarkson, we we speak to you now as you're a member of the Connecticut Whale, and it's your second season with a whale how how are you finding mm-hmm. it compared to last season um i think for the whale is a i mean for us it's a really big difference uh in the locker room we're uh a lot tighter than we were last season and just for me as well i mean i got on the team in the first year pretty much from the back door i would say i uh, i got signed on the first day of practice um, because they were missing a, a player. Mm. But um, no, I think I've just been really like 
trying to make my spot there, making like take my role as a leader this year and uh, just really working on helping every player on this team so we can make it to the cup. So, What are your thoughts about the team going into the playoffs? I mean, I think you, the team as a whole has done much better in 2018. And, and I've said it before on the podcast, I think you're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And I mean, this past two games that we had were not really our greatest, but it's nothing to panic about. It's nothing to push the panic button. So um, we just got little things to make sure that we keep on track. And as you said, we're a tough team to beat. Uh, Some players have mentioned that they don't like to play against us because we're just not giving up. So... It's going to be very, very interesting. And as I'm sure you've seen, there's been a lot of questions coming on Twitter. So let's get to some of those. And let's start, first of all, Kevin asks, which was more exciting, your 100th collegiate point or your first NWHL goal? Yeah, um, Kevin's actually a good friend of mine. So I'm I'm happy he put in the question in there. Um, both of them were very exciting in a different way. Uh, 100 points, I mean, not a lot of players actually get to uh, that point in college but I think I have to go with my first MWHL goal I mean going to like pretty much two seasons not having scored a goal and coming at a point against the during the game against the Buffalo to tie the game um, that was a really really good feeling yeah, I was only watching that goal back earlier on. A tremendous goal as well. And and Dan Rice followed that up with, did you gain confidence after netting your first career NWHL point? Yeah, I I, I did. I mean, there's kind of a lot, a lot of that uh, untold pressure, I would say. Like, you just really want to get that goal. But at the same time, you can't just be focusing on that. There's so many other things that you need to work on to get to that point. And... Finally, having that goal just made me realize, like, yeah, I'm like, I it took me a while, but I got there, and it's like, just gotta keep working hard and putting everything on my side to get a second one. So, have you got the puck from your first goal? Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Joan Goldstein asks, as a huge role model for hockey, who were and are your role models? Um, growing up, like one of my biggest role models, I would say were, um, Caroline, uh, Caroline Ouellet and, uh, Gina Kingsbury, um, for two reasons. I mean, Gina Kingsbury is actually, uh, originally from a town that is close to where I'm from. So having, having her making it through Team Canada and everything and go to the, the Olympics was just showing that no matter where you're from, even though you're not in the like prime area of uh, where the recruit, the um, recruiting usually happens, it is possible to make it there. And uh, Caroline was just, I mean, her way of playing the game was just amazing. Like never stopped playing no matter what happened during the game. And, hard work in everything she was doing on and off the ice. So those were big um, role models for me growing up. So, 
John M. Gray also says about the role model mm-hmm. size of thing. Uh, her favorite part about being a role model? Um, I mean, the greatest thing is just seeing all those little girls just looking up to you. I mean, and the main thing, though, is you don't really know you're a role model until someone actually points it out to you. Mm-hmm. So having that feeling of someone saying, like, you're my role model or like, I look up to you. It's a really, a really proud moment and knowing that you can help them dream about uh, actually being a professional hockey player. It's, it's huge. You know, these, these little girls and boys' eyes light up mm-hmm. when they spend some time with the players getting your autographs or any other way that you interact with them. And I think that is one of the, the biggest positive parts of the league, in my opinion. Yes, I totally agree with you. I mean, we see the, like you said, the little girls, but little boys as well are coming around and they just look up to you and they're amazed about how we're playing the game and everything. And it's just great to see that it's not just focused on the NHL players, that we have that um, attractiveness from the kids, having them to look up at us as well, not just the NHL players. No, absolutely. And moving along, Anthony asks, how did you become known as Juice? <laughs> that um, came when I actually went to Clarkson. Uh, it kind of goes along with uh, <laughs> Elena's question of how do you get Jack like Juice? Um, my teammate at the time didn't really think that it was natural for me to be jacked as I am. So they said, you got to be on Juice or something. And just from there, they're like, all right, I, I, we're, we, get, we have to call you Juice because you're just so jacked and it just stuck. So, <laughs> Yeah, you've just touched on that there. Uh, your teammate Lando just sent a question saying, how does one get jacked like Juice? I need some gym tips over here. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's a little running gag we have in the, in the locker room, uh, jack like Juice. So, I mean, working out, it's, I like to just, variate everything i don't think that doing the same thing over and over in the gym is um what will make you um jacked in every way (laughs) i believe in just like changing things up also like that helps to be like mentally um in a better place i would say I always find it interesting when teammates send in questions. And it wasn't just Lando either. It was also uh, Jamie Goldsmith, who I've had on the podcast as well, sent, it, sent in a comment and a yeah. question saying, dying to have a piece of your homemade furniture. What is your most prized handmade piece? Yeah, I, I'm actually kind of funny that she brought it up. I mean, we um, recently had um, a little something we made for one, I made for one of my teammates. Uh, it was actually a whale, welcome home sign with a whale. Um, on it, um, which was pretty fun to make, but I've, yeah, I've kind of been building some furniture as much uh, as I can when I have time. And I would say the my the most part I have in one of the pieces I made was the uh, a corner hutch that I made for my in laws. So I could send you a picture so you can see it. I mean, I took pictures from. <laughs> along the way to really show like the progress on it but it's a a pretty massive piece and i just build it from scratch so 
was uh, pretty fun to do. Just a couple of final ones just before I let you go. Um, we've kept you a, a fair bit of time already. Um, Dan Rice asks, who is most likely to prank someone on the team? Um, Fluke, Fluke, uh, Emily Fluke is the type of gal that you got to check your surrounding when she's around because she's going to get something quick done or she's uh, either put something in your skates or just take a little piece of equipment or on the bus who she'll... <laughs> she'll look for you or like look to grab something to prank you. So got to be careful around her. And finally <laughs> from Wayne Heinzer asks, what is your favorite sports other than hockey? Do you do any fishing? Favorite sport uh, besides hockey? I mean, I love playing soccer, slow pitch. Uh, I love golfing. Um, those are the main things I do over the summer. Um, fishing. I've, I haven't really gone yet. Um, I used, uh, I think the last time I've gone was maybe two or three years ago with my wife. But, um, besides that, I mean, the, I have a lot of great fishing memories with my parents when I was little, but yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) Joanna, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'd like to wish you and the team all the best as we head towards those NWHL playoffs. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great answering those questions and spending this time with you. So thank you. Great stuff from Joanna. And now time for Kira Gowin. Delighted to welcome back to the podcast, Kira Gowin. Kira, thanks so much for joining me. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Hey, I'm doing really, really well. Um, one thing, a lot of questions are coming. Secondly, I've been trying to catch up this week because for anyone who saw my notes on Twitter, we had snow down our way, which is probably the worst snow I've seen in about 30 years over in the UK. So it's been kind of interesting. The schools have been closed. The kids have been off. I'm kind of playing catch up a bit here. But in terms of yourself, did you really know what you were letting yourself in for when I asked you? Because there's so many questions come in. Oh, no, I love it. I mean, I think it's great, and I and I sort of love being able to interact with people and, and have conversations with you. I know you and I chat a lot, but yeah. this is a different sort of field for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this has kind of turned into a Twitter q and I originally thought about asking you various other things, but I'm literally going to turn this over to the fans of the podcast on Twitter so let's get started with some of the questions that come in. And first of all, from Nathaniel Oliver, who asks, who would you say is the toughest shooter to face in the NWHL currently and why? Um, that's a tough one. So my brain automatically goes to my teammates just because I see them so frequently and I can sort of see where their, their strengths are, different strengths that um, people don't necessarily get to see in games all the time because it's harder and you don't have any chances for that. But um, I think for me somebody who's not on my team, the most threatening person to face was um, Rebecca Russo, obviously because she's quick, um, and you sort of always have to know when she's on the ice, but her shot is is always really accurate, and it's really hard, it's a quick release, Um, so I think she's a really threatening player just all around in in every aspect of her game. And of course, Kelsey Colzer won the the hardest shot at the All-Star weekend, and she's got a pretty phenomenal shot herself. Oh, absolutely. Next one from Jose Cuavas, who asks, favorite goaltenders to watch during the Olympics, favorite mask pads during the Olympics? Um, I got to watch them. I loved all of 
um, the U.S. girls' masks. Those are really the only ones that I sort of focused on the most. Um, I loved all of them. The the artists, I've seen their work before on, like, other people's masks that I've seen. But um, Shannon Zabadas for Canada, she – I got to work with her a little bit this summer, um, and she had sort of run her idea by me. And so being able to see that finished product, um, it was really well done. The detail was, like, one of the greatest – you know, most detail I've ever seen in a mask before um, – and it was just really well executed. So I'd probably say her mask this year was, was my favorite. See, I'm absolutely fascinated oh. by Goldie masks. I, I just love them. If I could, I'd probably collect them. But I think my wife might shoot me if I start collecting something else. <laughs> I started collecting some of my old ones. And, and even the three or four that I have, is just, you just don't know where to put them yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one, Cynthia says, would love to know how you prepared in your youth hockey days. Did you ever skate out? How old were you when you transitioned to full-time goalie? And what age you played with boys versus all girls? Yep. So, I mean, I think we touched about this, like, briefly in our, our last interview. But to go into a little bit more detail, I did. I started playing competitive hockey when I was seven. So, I mean, I knew how to ice skate and, and sort of do, like, stick and puck before that. But, um... I skated out until I was about 13, 12 or 13 was when I, I made the jump to, you know, only playing goalie. There was one year where I played um, goalie and defense, which was just an interesting year in itself. <laughs> that was also the year, the last year I played boys hockey. So growing up, obviously, um, there wasn't, I think, any girls hockey around me and, and even very little boys hockey. Um, so I didn't play travel until I was about uh, a teenager. And at that point, um, it was when I jumped to an all-girls team. I jumped to goalie, and, you know, I traveled everywhere with that team. And so that was that was my, my sort of starting off point. And um, I actually think it was a really critical point for me in my hockey career because either had I kept playing with boys or had I kept jumping from position to position, I don't think I would have really found my niche and fallen in, in love with the sport as much as I did. Um, so I think everything sort of happened for me all at once, which is, which is good. Nicole says, hey, Kira, is there any goalie you look up to and why? There's a lot of goalies I look up to. I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint one. Again, growing up and, and growing up right outside New York City, I really look up to Mike Richter. Um, I liked who he was as a goalie, but also just sort of the way he conducted himself off ice and all the stuff that sort of made Mike Richter, you know, Mike Richter. Um, my father always ingrained in me that it was more about, it was more than just the sport. Um, that made a hockey player, so that was really important to me. But once he stopped playing, um, I never really had one person to look up to. That's when I sort of started watching hockey more frequently, watching more than just the Rangers, you know, following, you know, my brother's high school hockey team. And I just sort of found um, an adoration for the different things that different goalies did. So that's when I started enjoying, you know, figuring out who was a butterfly goalie and who was a hybrid and sort of, being able to pick and choose the things I liked about goaltending from from pretty much anybody that I saw playing hockey at the time. Completely off topic now. The next one that came in from Steph, he says, do you like cheese? If so, what is your favorite kind? So I saw this question and I was so excited for it. Not because it's not hockey related, but because I really do love cheese. And that sounds so crazy. But for anybody that knows uh, me and knows my sister specifically, Sometimes we would just sit, and this is gross, but we would eat like a whole block of Jarlsberg cheese, just watching TV with crackers or with apples or something. 
So it's a really disgusting fun fact about me, but I really do love cheese. If anyone ever said to me, like, could you give up cheese? I'd be like, no, no, I can't. I, I enjoy it too much. But... <laughs> My whole family is a big cheese family. My oldest sister's a vegan, and she loves cheese so much that she actually makes her own. She makes a vegan cheese now, so no, none of us can give up cheese. <laughs> no, you can't give up cheese at that point. Um, David Pendris says, as an alum of one program and a coach at another, what effect do you think the growth of the NWHL will have on the players who might pass through such programs? Um, that's a tough question. I mean, it's hard to sort of foresee where all this is going to go. I think that with obviously older players now, um, a lot of the a lot of the women in our league have actually played um, with them or against them or you know. They were a year ahead of them playing travel in youth, whatever it might be. There's a much closer connection um, to like the college girls, but I think it's still, I think it's still a really important thing for them to see, um, especially the girls that I coach and especially, you know, people that I played with and against. Because I mean, we were, I was a D3 athlete. You know, it, it was something that for the first year, you would only see like a handful of of non D1 athletes in the NWHL. Um, and so I think that it's this year, especially, it's really been remarkable to see that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent throughout all of NCAA hockey. And I think that that's probably the biggest impact that, um, this league has had on those players. And I think going forward, it's, it's just going to be a huge reminder of if you want something, go get it. Um, there's nothing that's out of reach. There's no obstacle that you can't overcome if you don't try hard enough um and so i think it has like obviously it's it's great as far as athletics and people wanting to do well in hockey and go far in hockey but i think it just has a broader picture overall where like yeah hockey is one part of that but whether you go to college whether you don't all this other stuff like it you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and i think the nwhl is like just a big glaring um example of that at the NWHL going forward Dan Rice says what adjustments would you like to see in the NWHL going from season 3 to 4 um, I mean obviously the first thing I want to see is expansion you know we, we had games in Pittsburgh and the All-Star game um, out in Minnesota they were all really successful and, and there's been a lot of good feedback on Twitter and, and on Facebook and stuff about those games um, so I think the first thing I'd want to see is just more teams. And, and from there, just, you know, this year-by-year year, uh, consistent growth in the league. Dan Rice follows up with, does Fluke really sweat the most? I wouldn't necessarily say quantity sweats the most, but um, I do know that there's there's some eye rolls when people have to wear her jerseys in practice. And I'm so sorry, Fluke, but <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think um, Emily did notice that one coming out on Twitter um, when Dan sent that one in. Um, Dan follows up with his final question. Favourite moment on or off the ice this season? I guess I would have to say our first win. Um, we were in Boston and I, I was I was there for that game. And um, we, we've always gone along really well as a team. And I think we've always sort of viewed ourselves as the underdog in this league. But, I mean, that win was – it was just a wholehearted team effort. Um, I think everybody that watches our games since then can see that. Um, fortunately, we don't have the record we would like. But I think that was, like, a big um, turning point, at least for 
me individually as a member of the whale, um, I sort of really felt that that was, this is the place I need to be and that I want to be. Um, but also it was just a really good hockey game. Patrick says, what's the most rewarding thing about playing professionally in the NWHL? It's the people. The people that I'm around constantly. Best part. Um, he also says, what has surprised you the most about playing professionally? Um, the people. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, I hate to give you, you know, the same answer, but, I mean, I knew it was going to be this big thing. It's, you know, it's professional hockey, but still in my mind, it was just sort of like, you know, there's only four teams and it's, it's a pretty new league and not many people know about it. Like the, the same things you hear over and over and over again. Um, so it was just amazing to sort of see just in this year alone, not only the growth of the game, but the growth of the fan base and the growth of the people who discover, you know, there is professional women's hockey in the United States. And, and just, I think it's just a constant, um, I like the constant draw drop from people when, when they sort of realize like there's a lot of us that are really good at hockey and, we don't just play in the Olympics. And Patsy also says, how long would you like to play? I mean, I'd play as long as I could. Yeah. Any, any hockey player is going to tell you that. <laughs> I'll play as long as my body will allow me. Um, Terry asks, what are some goal-tending trends you see in women's hockey, technique, equipment, training, otherwise? Yep, so I think, I mean, there's an element to women's hockey, obviously, because there's um, no body checking that... I mean, it makes um, players have to be more skilled, I think, at least as far as, like, their their puck skills and um, their smarts. I think you have to be able to, you know, make you have to, you have to be somebody one-on-one in a much more difficult way than maybe men's hockey do, like the, the men's hockey players do. But for goaltending, that translates directly to we have to be much more patient um, when facing a shooter and, and facing, you know, a really good power play or something like that. Um, there's just another added element of just it's just a much more mental game I think than men's hockey not to say that men's hockey's not but I mean it, it's I feel like half the time that I'm a practice or in a game it's just it's just a waiting game you have to sort of play chicken with whoever's got the puck on their stick I should say I, I love those one-on-one battles you see in hockey with the uh, the shooter breathing down a goaltender's neck It might be more fun to watch than it is to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Paul Harbridge says, with the appointment of Pierre Maguire to fill the vacancy left by Scotty Bowman on the Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee this week, the Hall has now gone 75 years without a female on the committee. Thoughts on this and a gross underrepresentation of women in the Hall? Um, I mean, obviously it's unfortunate. I think, um, I don't necessarily think it's, it's wrong per se. Obviously, I'd love to see a woman um, on the board or on the committee, but I think it's just one of those things like that's just, you know, another another chip away. You know, it's another thing we have to do, another box we have to check off. It's going to come. Um, I think it's going to come much sooner than we expect it to at this rate, at the rate that the, the game of women's hockey is growing, especially after the Olympics. Um, I think it's just one of those things that, although unfortunate this year, um, I don't think it's it's out of reach, and I don't think it's out of mind for the people who decide that. Next one from Darren Chills Petty says, My son is 10 and starting on the road to being a goalie. What advice can you give him? Thanks. Um, oh, 10. <laughs> it's early. You're getting into it right now. Um, I would say don't get frustrated. There's a lot about goaltending that 
um, mentally is really, really draining. And a lot of the time, um, your instinct is, is that it's not fair, that you might want to quit, um, or you might be better off playing another position. And I think everybody that has stuck with the position can sort of tell you that it's, it's worth it in the end. Um, everybody knows it takes a certain kind of person to be a goaltender and a lot of that is just going to come with patience and it's going to come with a lot of frustration you know people always remember the mistakes that a goalie makes but they don't always necessarily remember the big um the big saves or the saves that came at a time that you know turn the turn the pace of the game for your team um that stuff often goes overlooked so i would just say be patient and, and sort of stick with it no, and this is it. I agree with that because sometimes when you look at a game in hindsight and you see that big save, you see that momentum shift and you may not realise it at the time, but when you look back, you go, yeah, that's when the game changed. Yeah, but it's unfortunate too because, you know, that's that's one moment in, you know, a player's season or career um, and the number of times where people say like, oh, well, he gave up or she gave up a goal in overtime. You know what I mean? Like it feels like sort of, the negatives sometimes outweigh those moments but in reality it just happens that one moment of good is paired with you know five or six moments of bad um and that's not the case i just think oftentimes it goes overlooked the good goes overlooked no it's just one of those things that sticks out and sometimes we remember the the bad things rather than the good things and talking about things that divide people now midori oshi says shootouts bad right and I know some of us like shootouts, some of us don't. How about yourself? Um, I think in the case of the Olympics, I would say no. I didn't like that finish, although it was thrilling and it was entertaining. And, and it, you know, I think without the way this Olympics ended, we may not have had as much um, publicity and, and buzz about the game. But I think overall, I would prefer, um, you know, over time. I think it's just, it just shows who the better team is um, more fairly. But, I mean, again, there is that that spectator aspect of just shootouts are fun. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm old school. I would rather teams play to a finish rather than shootouts. But you can't argue against what an enthralling finish we had. And when you think about gold medal games, the gold medal game in Sochi was enthralling for very different reasons. This one, four years later, was enthralling, again, for very, very different reasons. Phenomenal game, but deciding a gold medal on that, I don't know whether you'll ever get me to uh, come around on that idea, to be fair. Christopher Facilis asks, what's your favourite movie? What's your favourite thing to do when not on the ice? Oh, my favourite movie. Um, that's almost every movie I've ever watched. Um... This is going to sound cliche and this is going to sound like the normal hockey player answer, but, I mean, Miracle is a great movie, both sports movie, both, like, sports and because I'm a hockey person, but also, um, I remember the first time I watched that movie when I was, like, old enough to really comprehend what the bigger picture of that movie was about, more than just, you know, the Olympics, um, and that's just, like, a really well-done movie as far as, like, they frame it really, really well. Um, so I'd say that's probably one of my favorite movies. Also, things I do in my spare time when I'm not on the ice. Um, I don't have too much spare time just because of the coaching and the travel, which I'm okay with. I like, I like what I do. But when I do find time like that, um, in high school, I actually taught myself how to play the ukulele. 
so I'm not very good, but that's that's something I like to pick up and sort of um, brush the dust off when I can, both literally and metaphorically. I'd like to say a big thank you to yourself, obviously, for answering all the questions today, and a, and a big thank you to everyone for sending them in. But just before we close off this particular segment of this podcast, I do want to just mention Wayne Heinzer, who direct messaged me earlier and said the following, great job with these podcasts. You've given some unique insights into the NWHL players I'm sure have helped develop their fan base. I hope you will continue to offer content during the upcoming off-season. It took other sports decades to realise how important year-round visibility is and the NWHL can learn from their model. Keep up the good work, Steve, and as our well friends would say, two fins up. First of all, Wayne, thanks for sending in a message. I did drop you a message back about this as well. And yes, there will be content in the off-season and um, I'm just trying to put together kind of a plan as to exactly how that's going to be. And for those that don't know, I do badger Kira on a weekly basis as I try and sort out... (laughs) the interviews and everything else so Kira's normally waiting for that email in her inbox somewhere between a Friday and a Monday with my perspective list of people that I'd love to interview for that coming week so a big thank you to you for all the help you give me on a weekly basis oh no I look forward to it honestly it's it's a great start to my week it reminds me why I do what I do and I love what I do um, but it's also a little bit of routine. It adds routine and consistency to my week. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, before I let you go, I'd like to wish you and the team all the best this weekend. And of course, the, the upcoming playoffs. Just quickly, what are your thoughts on the playoffs coming up? Because it's going to be a very, very interesting playoff weekend. And I know a lot of people are leaning towards uh, a Riveters Buttes battle for the Isabel Cup. But I'm sure the Whale are going to have something to say about that. Absolutely. I think what, what I have to say and I think what my whole team has to say is, is bring it on. Um, again, anybody that's watched us play and, and watch our league, um, you know, we we offer more than our, our record shows and I'm I'm actually very excited to um, you know, play the youth this weekend and then go and go to Jersey and play the Riveters. because um, I think that um, we have a few more tricks up our sleeves that uh, other teams might not have anymore. <laughs> And for anyone who's listened to the podcast, various players I've spoken to, I've said it all season long that for me, the Whale are a very, very tough out come playoff time. Very, very gritty team. Very, very difficult to beat over 60 minutes. It could be very, very interesting, yeah. Yeah, and this, the way these playoffs work, it favors, favors the underdog. <laughs> so watch out, guys. <laughs> it's going to be fun. As I said, that's coming up. Not this weekend, the weekend after that. It's going to be very, very interesting how that works out. But for now, Kira, I'd love to thank you for joining me today. It's always a pleasure talking to you on email or, or on the podcast. And as I said, I'd like to wish you and the team all the best the rest of the season. Thank you. I had a blast. It was good talking to you again. And thanks, everybody, for the questions. Excellent stuff from Kira. And that just about wraps up today's episode. I'd like to thank today's guest for joining me on Women's Hockey Digest. Every week I'll be joined by players from the NWHL to discuss hockey and much more. But for now, I've been your host Stephen Elmich. You can find me on Twitter at TalkSportStephen. You can find the podcast at Digest. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app. All the details are in the episode notes. But until next time, it's a good night for me.